We're going to talk tonight about the parable of the party. Parable of the party. If you have your Bible, we'll look to Matthew chapter 22, and you may be seated. This is a this is a good lengthy portion of scripture I'm going to read. I'm just going to read this whole parable because I, f- I feel like it just helps give context to what we're talking about tonight. Matthew chapter 22, right at the beginning of the chapter, we're going to read 14 verses. This is an interesting parable, and uh, it kind of grips you about halfway through. It really, it really grabs you. So let's, let's read this. Let's look at this. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which were bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways one to his farm and another to his merchandise. And the remnant, hear this, took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. He was, he was very angry. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers that were bidden or, and burned up their city. And he saith to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden are not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in here not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Few are chosen. Uh, So interesting parable there that the Lord was teaching, right? That was, was kind of dark right there toward the end you just could feel the the heaviness of that that storyline uh very powerful verbiage that he used uh telling that story talked about destroying people and and killing people binding people and casting them into outer darkness so interesting uh context there that the Lord gives concerning the kingdom of God. Our world seems to be captivated with celebrity couples, if you haven't noticed. Seems like it's always the front page, you know, who the latest celebrity couple is or, or royal weddings. Here lately it's been, if, if you've been paying attention, it's been Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift and Kansas City Chiefs Tight end, Travis Kelsey. Uh, This has been the talk lately. This has been the craze, the the latest celebrity couple. 
hope there's no Swifties in here. I don't, I don't know. I'm talking to any Swifties tonight. You know, but there's some NFL fans here, so it's just, it's always, it's always buzz in the football season here lately with, you know, this new couple, this new celebrity couple. But even more so, our, our society really seems to be uh, kind of latches on to royal weddings. You know, if, there, if there's a royal wedding or something going on with the royal family, we like to, we like to latch on to that and people follow along with that like, like a soap opera. Prince William, uh, he had a wedding a few years back, married Kate Middleton. They had about 1,900 people attended their ceremony. 1,900 at their wedding. And then approximately about 600 people invited to the luncheon at the Buckingham Palace, hosted by the Queen. And then the final list of about 300 names were invited to the dinner later on that evening, hosted by the Prince of Wales, uh, who's now the king. Prince Harry had a modest number at his wedding of 600 people showed up for the wedding between him and Meghan Markle, Merkel. I don't know if I butchered her name, probably did. I'm, I'm no respecter of names. Some of you know. Crown Prince Hussein. <laughs> the intimate ceremony, he had a very modest uh, number. He had 140 guests, 140. You had to be the who's who. Uh, if you're among that 140, you were somebody to get into Prince Hussein, the crown prince of Jordan, uh, hosted by his father, King Abdullah. And then afterwards, they had a reception of about 1,700 people. Not too bad. Not too bad. So imagine if these famous people, royalty, what we know as royalty in our world, imagine if they had prepared this great wedding for, I would fear for what would happen if you didn't go to Prince, Abdul, or Prince Hussein's wedding. <laughs> I fear for you. If you're invited to that wedding, you might lose a limb or a head. I don't know. They, they take that stuff seriously over there. But you can imagine how they would feel if they sent their reception their, or their invites out and and people, ah, I'm busy. I got, I got things going on. Or, or Prince Harry or Prince William, 1,900 or 1,700, 600 people. And all of them just blow it off. The opportunity, for one, I mean, to get to go to a wedding like that, who, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? So you can kind of understand a little bit why the king in our parable that we read about would have been so... Wroth, as the Bible says, he was so angry. It was customary for a king to prepare a great feast for his son's wedding. Many friends and family would be gathered and come from, from far, near and far, for a wedding like that. Presuming everyone would be delighted to attend, you would think it would be an honor to attend a royal wedding. It's not too often that you get an invite to such a thing. But for some reason, these guests denied their invitation. They, they had better things to do. The servants would report back to the king with bad news. 
uh, sire, lord, king, uh, I don't know how to break this to you, but nobody's coming to the wedding. They all denied. They all rejected your invitation. Some of them had to go look at, they said they was looking at merchandise. Lord, I don't know. They said they had something to do better. Uh, so you can imagine this king's anger when he had prepared this great feast, this great banquet, this, this great reception, all of this preparation that would go into a royal wedding, all of the work, all of the, the planning that would go into something like that, the detail. This, this wasn't just a modest courthouse wedding. This was a royal wedding. This was big time. This was a big deal. You can imagine the planning. If, you're, if you've ever been married, you've ever been a part of a wedding party, you know the planning, you know the, you know, all the walkthroughs and, and everything you got to do just when you got about 100 people coming or 150 people coming, maybe, or 90 or 80 or whatever. You can imagine what it would be like for a royal wedding, the work, the planning, the preparation that would go into such an ordeal. You can imagine the hurt. You can imagine the pain you would feel if, if that was your wedding and, or your daughter's wedding or your son's wedding. And, and you invited people you loved and cared about, people you thought were friends and family, and they just rejected that invitation. They just scoffed, just brushed it off as if you were not important. You were no big deal to them. So you can understand uh, why this king would be so angry. Uh, the, he gave him another opportunity. It wasn't, he, it wasn't just a one and done. Go again. Try to, try to see if you can get them. rejected again. And, and not only were they rejected, but for some reason, they were so agitated that the king's servants would come and bother them again. They would even victimize them. And, and assault them and kill them. Uh, so he really started going in on just how hateful his friends were that he thought were his friends. We're blessed. We're blessed to be living under the umbrella of God's grace. We've witnessed people decline the offer. You know, and it hurts us sometimes when we reach for people and, and they... They don't want anything to do with what the Lord has to offer. They don't, they don't want anything to do with the church or, or they don't want anything to do with the word. We feel that sting. Sometimes that even, uh, it prevents us from reaching out because nobody likes to be turned away. Nobody likes to be rejected. So sometimes that, that even hinders us from doing what we need to do to reach somebody that we know needs Jesus. The king was devastated. How could they refuse this? Uh, this parable in particular was directed to the people of Israel. Jesus was directing his teaching to them in particular because the Bible tells us that he came unto his own and his own received him not. They, they rejected their Messiah. They rejected the Lord. Um, and, and they had rejected God time and time again. This was a recurring issue. That's why he, he mentioned it. He said he, I, he sent more servants. 
And, and they would reject those servants. He was speaking of the prophets. He was speaking of his servants that he would send out to reach for their hearts. And some prophets were killed. Some prophets were beaten, mistreated. So he, he, they, they knew, they understood what he was saying uh, when he was telling them. Uh, he said, what do you think will happen to these people? What do you think this king will do to them? He sent his armies out. He destroyed them. They suffered. And, and over the history uh, of Israel's history, they've, they've suffered many, many things. They, recently, we're seeing it now, still suffering. Um, thousand people or more just, just slaughtered, just innocents. So this, this has been a reoccurring, uh, and we see it now in modern time. Uh, we, many of us, we're not alive and we're, we don't, we can't even imagine what, it, what the Holocaust must have been like. Uh, but we've seen here recently, you know, a thousand people butchered, 1,500 people butchered. So they have suffered for their rejection of their Messiah over the years. And this is what he was telling them. You, you reject the, the goodness of the king, so you suffer for it. Uh, in other words, he said they, they are not worthy. They counted themselves on God would never count us unworthy. We, we are not worthy. We understand that. But what he did for us made us worthy. He said, I see worth. I see value. I'll come. I'll give my life. So God found us worthy. Although we understand in and of ourselves, we, we, we could never be worth enough. But he's seen something in us that was worth dying for. This is what the Apostle Paul said. Him and Barnabas were trying to preach. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 13 that Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. It was required of us is what they were saying. Because God will always reach for his chosen people, Israel, first. This is what he said to them. He said, since you reject it, and you do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, now we turn to the Gentiles. Every one of us will be held responsible. All of us have to give an account for whether we accept the Lord's invitation or whether we reject it, or, or whether we accept it and follow His teachings and follow His plan. Uh, we have to answer for that. Uh, one of these days, he's going to open the book, the Lamb's Book of Life, the Bible says. And he's going to see the names that are written in that book. And if your name is not in that book, you will have to give an account for why you counted yourself unworthy. Because God doesn't count us unworthy. We know that because he came as a man. He died. He gave his life. He did that because he saw value. He saw worth. So for us to reject it and to miss out on the Lamb's book of life, we count ourselves unworthy. We say, no, I got other things to do. When, when we love someone, it seems like we can never get enough of them. We can never spend enough time with that person. You look at a young couple, they always want to be together. I remember when, when I first was falling in love, 
We would just talk on the phone for hours. We'd just fall asleep just talking on the phone. Just, just always had to be in constant communication. Am I lying? That was back when we had minutes. We had rollover minutes. We'd be using all those rollover minutes. Just rolling it over. And, and, and then sometimes my dad would get the bill and say, what's all these minutes? You guys, the younger generation don't know about minutes and rollover minutes. Now everything's just, it's all on, on the bill. It's all unlimited. But when you love someone, you want to be with them. You want to spend time with them. You change some things for them. You change your, your behavior. You start changing. You start modifying a little bit. You start doing some things that help bring you closer to them or, or help whatever pleases them, whatever makes them happy. You know, when I, when I started dating my wife, it was blue jeans and a white T-shirt. That was it, in a, in a white pair of Nikes. That was it. That was my outfit. She helped change me. She helped, she helped give me some more style. She said, babe, you've got to quit with the white T-shirts and the blue jeans. I'm a simple man. So we do things. We do things that will help conform us. Jesus came because he loved us. He loved us more than any of his other creation. God wanted to be close to us. That, that was broken. That relationship was severed. It was broken in the Garden of Eden when sin came in and Adam and Eve partook of sin. It severed the relationship that, was, that God had loved so much. And he wanted that relationship back so deeply that he put a plan in place that he would come as a man because at that point we could never redeem ourselves. We could never pay the price. It would take a spotless lamb. It would take a perfect lamb. And John the Baptist said this in John 1 and 29. John see it, Jesus coming and said, Behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He was coming so that we could Get back into a loving, close relationship with him again. So that that would be restored. So you can imagine how he felt when he came to restore what was broken. He came to restore what had been severed. Only to be rejected. But the king looked around. Although his heart was broken, he thought, I will continue the planning of this wedding. I will still have a wedding party for my son. He said, I want you to go out and I want you to invite everybody you can. I want you to invite everybody who is hungry. I want you to invite everybody who is poor. I want you to invite everybody who's lonely. I want anybody who feels destitute. I want them to come to my wedding. And much to the king's pleasure, the servants followed up and they came back and they filled that wedding hall. It is God's greatest pleasure to see his children turn from their sin and run to him. 
His word tells us that there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. Our churches may not be filled with millionaires. It may not be filled with the, the highest of society. It may not be filled with politicians. But it is filled with people that know the power of God's grace. And understand the depth of his love for us. It's filled with people that were once sinners that are now made royal in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians Chapter 6 through 9, Paul addressed the Corinth church about their prejudice. And he had to remind them, he said, such were some of you. But you have been washed, and you have been cleaned, and you have been sanctified and justified by the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He said, don't forget where you came from. It was because they rejected the invitation that God extended the invitation to us. Mm. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I pray that the people of Israel, that the Jews return to their Messiah. But I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have to come into the kingdom of God. It's not to say that, that they no longer have favor with God. And Paul told us in Romans, don't boast against the branches. Don't boast against those, the original olive branches. Because God grafted you into that tree. That God will one day bring them back to restoration as well. But I'm thankful that it happened the way it did. Because had it not, then the gospel may have never been preached to the Gentile believers. Revelation 22 and 17 says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that hears say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. This party is for everybody. This wedding is for everybody. This reception is for everybody. It's for whosoever will. The king opened up the doors to the party and said, I'm not even worried about the original guests anymore. I want all of mankind to come. I want everybody. I, I, I find it interesting that he said when they went out and invited people to the, the party, he said he, the bad and the good. The bad and the good. The bad and the good. It's not up to us to, to determine who's worthy. It's not up to you to determine who's worthy to be in the kingdom of God. Don't ever look at somebody and think they're too bad. They're too far gone. Don't ever look at somebody and think they'll never accept this. They never want this. It's usually the worst that need it the most. It's usually the, the, the roughest and the toughest that are hurting the most. That need a touch. I, I was one of those. I know people that, are, that were the hardest. And just watch them crumble in the presence of the Lord. Watch them melt in the presence of the Lord. Everybody needs Jesus. The bad and the good. I like reaching for good people. But I like seeing bad people come to Jesus too. He wants everybody to be a part of the kingdom of God. The spirit and the bride say come. I've seen this recently. 
Uh, I don't know who said it. I've seen it somewhere. Uh, but I'm just going to borrow it from him. He said, the spirit and the bride. It takes the spirit of the Lord and the church to, to say come. If they come into a, a church that they've been led of by the spirit. Some people come into our church because they were spirit led. But if the church don't say come, then they'll never feel the love of Jesus. They need the spirit and the bride to say come. They need to be pulled in by the spirit, but they need a bride that will love them and that will welcome them into the kingdom of God. We're blessed to be counted among the royalty of heaven. The king of kings invites us to be his friends. John 15 and 15, he said, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what the Lord doth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my father I have made known unto you. He doesn't just want us to be friends, but he also wants us to be family. We are a part of the family of God, and he calls us friends instead of servants. That, that is intimacy. That is closeness. Uh, anybody can, can have a servant or somebody working for them. You'll never get close to them. You might find out a little bit about them. You might find out their name or what their family is, who their family is, but you never get close to them. But if it's your friend, you invite them into a close proximity. You can get close with them. You can tell them things. You can share things with them. He said, I call you friends. God wants us to be close. He wants us to be intimate with his presence. He calls us unto himself. Our only responsibility is to believe that he really wants us to be a part of his kingdom. When we believe that, we will accept the invitation. Accept the invitation. Don't count yourself unworthy. He has personally invited you into his kingdom. God's grace is for the undeserving. This idea uh, Jesus introduced to his Jewish audience probably astonished them. This, this is what you would call offensive grace because they knew who he was talking about. He said, what do you think I'm going to do to these people? Or what do you think the king is going to do to these people? They knew by rejecting a king's invitation and by standing up the king, they knew what would likely happen to them. He said, what do you think I would do? I will destroy these servants. Jesus sat and he ate with sinners. He, he, he touched the diseased. He had conversations with the outcasts of society and with prostitutes. It didn't matter what walk of life they came from. Jesus was willing to reach for everybody because he had been rejected by his own. In the realm of God's magnificent holiness, nobody is truly worthy. Nobody is truly worthy. We are all undeserving sinners. But he found us worthy. And everything seemed to be in order. And he set the dinner. He set the table. He set up everything for us to be a part of the kingdom of God. Even though we cannot be worthy. Even though we cannot possibly do enough to deserve it or to earn it. He said, I want you to be a part of it. Our responsibility is to simply accept the invitation. Accept the invitation and do what the king asks of us. The king approached the guest. He looked around. He looked, he looked at everybody 
in the, in the dinner, pleased with so many people. He's seen this full banquet of people, and he was pleased with what he saw. But yet he's seen one person. For some reason, there was one individual that was in there that did not have on the wedding garment. And he would look to them. He would look to them or look to this man and say, sir or friend, called him friend. He gave him opportunity. He came to him with kindness and said, friend, why aren't you in a wedding garment? Why aren't you dressed like everyone else? I have prepared this place. I have done everything. I've, I've, I've literally bent over backwards to make this for everybody. All I asked was for you to put on a wedding garment. And as the man just stood there and stared at the king with a blank expression, no explanation, he offered nothing. The king said, okay, bind him, hand and foot, get him out of here. So here, what I'm saying. We know people that have rejected this. We know people that have turned their back on God for no good reason. But what about those that receive the invitation, they go to the reception, they go to the wedding, but they have determined in their heart that I will do things my way. I will do what I want to do. I'm here. This was the attitude of the guest. My presence here is enough. The fact that I received and accepted your invitation, you should be happy about that. That was not good enough for the king. He said, you don't know what kind of preparation I made for this. You don't know the pain that I went through. You don't know the rejection that I suffered. You don't know the process. You don't know what I had to do to get you here. And all I asked was that you put on a wedding garment so that everybody would look according to the standard. Now, I'm not saying we should judge anybody. Everybody's on a different walk. And everybody's on a different path. Everybody's on a different trajectory, if that, if that makes more sense. We all have to let the Lord lead us and to do what God is asking us to do. But he also has given us his word. And he has also given us instructors. And he's also given us a pastor after his own heart. God has provided a means for us to make ourselves ready. To make ourselves ready. He has prepared the wedding. He has went through the work. He has went through the process of the planning. He has given his own life so that we can be a part of the kingdom of God. Be it far from us that we should do things our own way. Be it far from us that we should determine in our hearts that I will stay as I am. I came, you said, you will accept me as I am, so therefore here I am. This is a defiant mindset 
that Jesus does not want in the kingdom of God. There was a reason why he put, he put that plug in that parable. He didn't give any explanation. He just left it there. He just said, I'm just going to leave this right here. I want you to just think on this. I want you to just chew on this. So I've been doing that. And the only thing that I can think of is this man said, I have come this far, I'm here, and this is the way I am. Jesus calls us, he loves us the way we are. He, he accepts us as we are, yes. But he expects us to not stay as we are. He done too much, he went too far, he gave it all. For us to only come so far and say, this is as far as I go is as good as rejecting the invitation. I told you, this, that, that parable gets heavy right there at the end. It, it gets kind of dark right there at the end. But he was trying to help his people. And he was trying to help us that would one day read this parable and teach this parable. Because God intends for us to grow. God intends for us to be transformed. We experience salvation through his death his burial, and his resurrection. Likewise, we die out to our sins by repentance. When we repent, we die out to that old life. We, we basically crucify the old life. And then we get buried in water. We go down in water. That's a form of burial. We are buried with him in baptism. That like as Christ was raised from the dead, we too shall walk in newness of life. And then... We identify with his resurrection by the infilling of the Holy Ghost because we were all dead in sin. Our spirits were dead. But when the Spirit of the Lord comes into our hearts, he quickens us. He makes, he makes us alive. But we can't stay there. We can't stay at that place. That's not enough. That, that is just getting in to the gate of the kingdom of God. When, when you are born again, when you receive the new birth, and you repent, and you're water baptized, and you receive the spirit of the Lord, that is just access. That is just stepping into the kingdom of God. That is not enough. We cannot stay there. In essence, that's what that man did at the wedding. And he was evicted for it. God goes through great lengths to reach us. He goes through great lengths to reach every person. God is still reaching. God is still reaching. God will never stop reaching. His grace will never quit. It will never throw into towel until, until the end of time. Until it's all said and done, he will, he will keep reaching. But the Bible says that it is not his will that any should perish. He didn't want to throw that man out. That man basically threw himself out because he knew you had to have on the wedding garment. You had to have on the royal clothing. It wasn't enough to just get there. You had to prepare yourself for the wedding. God, God's not going to give up on us, but it, it, it's imperative that we don't just stop in our journey. It's imperative that it's detrimental if we just decide one day, you know what, this is as far as I go. I feel like I have grown enough. I feel like I have come far enough. I'm good here. That's never going to cut it. 
That's never going to cut it. God desires us to continually grow spiritually. When we stop growing spiritually is when we start dying spiritually. God transforms us with loving relationship. The man who refused the beautiful clothes was like the person who refused to take responsibility. Paul said, what shall we then say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In essence, that's what we were looking at here. He said, I've accepted the grace of God. That's enough. See, that's cheap grace. And we find that in our society. God God is interested in just giving out cheap grace. That, That cost him something. That cost the Lord something. To just accept the grace of God and go no further and to say, I'm okay because I have the grace of God. I can continue in this way. I can do what I want because God's gracious. The Apostle Paul said, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Jesus could have never seen himself going back to the grave. Jesus, when he came out of the grave, going back to the grave was not an option. We, we cannot allow ourselves to start to revert back to where we came from. The world pulls us, tries to conform us to its agenda. God wants to transform us. The world wants to conform us. It's got a, it's got a warm invitation. This world has a warm invitation but it has a cold embrace. You'll never measure up. You'll never never be able to give enough to this world. Apostle Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good, what is acceptable, what is the perfect will of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I close... Accepting God's grace is a privilege. It's a privilege to us. But we have to remember that it it costs something. I find myself praying this. I don't don't know how you pray, but, you know, the Apostle Paul said, we we dare not frustrate the grace of God. And I never really understood that, reading that. But when I make mistakes, I start to understand that's how I frustrate the grace of God. By having a mindset like, well, God will forgive me. I have the grace of God. I'm okay. So I find myself praying that, Lord, help me not to frustrate your grace. Because grace was not intended for me to just use it and abuse it. Grace was not intended for me to just just treat it so carelessly. It was intended for me to grow. He said, it's the grace of God that helps you to perfect holiness and to perfect righteousness and to live above reproach and give you strength against sin. Grace is a teacher. It leads you further and further into the will of God for your life. Grace is never meant to just be uh, your get-out-of-jail-free card. It's so much more than that. It's so much richer than that. Yes, it's unmerited favor. We understand that. But it's so much more than just God giving me favor. It's God helping me to develop 
into the man that he designed me to be. It's God helping you to develop into the man or woman that he intends and designs you to be. Not to just stay, not to just give you access to the wedding, but to, to be able to prepare yourself to put on that wedding garment. To put on a robe of righteousness. Salvation was the transition from death to life. It was the, the transition from death to life. When God saved you, when, when God filled you, if God has filled you, he transitioned you from a place of death into a place of life. He pulled you out of darkness, the Bible says, into his marvelous light. We can't put a price tag on that. We can't be careless with that. I believe personally that we're looking at the end of the end. I feel like Jesus is coming back soon, y'all. I don't know about you, but the signs are all around us. We, we can't be careless with this invitation. We can't be careless with, with this access into the kingdom of God to just think that we can just casually just show up. And I'm not talking about just show up to church. I'm talking about just show up in your worship. Show up in your walk with God. Show up in your relationship with God. When you love somebody, I'll go back to that. You don't just treat them so carelessly and casually. You look for opportunities to draw closer to them. You look for opportunities to please them. You look for opportunities to spend time with them. I want to read this bit of scripture to you as I close. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. And as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of many mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife Somebody say, that's me. Hath made herself ready. His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. She hath made herself ready. He was talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb in that parable. In that there was a process for the bride to make herself ready. The invitation is there. It's open to everybody. But we have to do our part. We have a responsibility to prepare ourselves for one day, that marriage supper in heaven. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for just a minute. I feel just the, the presence of the Lord here. I want to just take this opportunity. If, if maybe everything isn't all right in your life, if maybe everything isn't all right in your heart, I want you to just take a moment right now and just ask the Lord to help you. God, help me. Help me tonight, Lord, to, to clean up.
these things in my, my heart, Lord. Lord, if there's, any, if there's anything in my mind or my spirit, God, help me, Lord, to, to get it right. God, I, I want to be ready. Lord, I don't know when you're coming back, but I know you're coming back soon. God, I want to be ready. I don't want to just come so far and then stop. God, but I want to keep progressing. I want to keep growing. Lord, I want to keep adding virtue to myself. I want to keep adding the things of God, the ways of God, the will of God. Help us, Lord, not to do it our way. Help us, Lord, not to adopt the mindset that I will do it my way. God, I want to do it your way. Lord, I want to do it your way. I want to please you. God, I want my life to bring you honor. I want my life to bring you glory. God, we've accepted the invitation, Lord. But help us, God, to prepare ourselves for that great wedding one day, Lord, in the sky. Help us to prepare ourselves, Lord, for the marriage supper of the Lamb. God, you've done your part, Lord. And you're still working and you're still helping us, God. But help us, Lord, to accept responsibility for the things that we must take responsibility for. Help us, God, to own up to what we need to own up to, Lord. To prepare our hearts, Lord to live in a way that is pleasing, to go out and to invite others, God, to be a part of this great marriage. In Jesus' name we pray.